Hi, welcome back to The Horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. And here we are today with episode 89. It's going to be a doozy. And by that, I mean not really a doozy at all. Not at all. <laughs> this is a PG-13 film. From 2017. Called Happy Death Day. You requested dumb, <laughs> funny, I did. not scary. I did. I said, Shay, I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> I need something easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl. And I honestly think that's what we got. It's so dumb. (laughs) It's so dumb. (laughs) But I think there are some cool parts to it. Some funny dialogue. And we have some ladies. So we have Teresa, better known as Tree, played by Jessica Roth. Jessica Roth is an American actress. She's best known for her role in the 2016 MTV series, Mary and Jane. And she's also appeared in, of course, several other movies and shows. Next, we have our character, Lori, played by Ruby Modine. And Ruby, not only she's an actress, but she's also a singer and a dancer. She's best known for playing Sierra Morton on the show Shameless. And she has a band called Ruby Modine and the Disease. Fun. Yes. Our last, I think, major lady is our character, Danielle. And she is played by Rachel Matthews. Rachel Matthews is an American actress, and she's best known for her role in this film and this film's sequel. So getting into some pre-plot trivia, this film is directed by Christopher Landon, who is known for his parts in Freaky 2020, Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones 2014, and We Have a Ghost 2023. Do you know any of those? So Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones is actually my favorite in that franchise. Oh, I like it a lot. And I heard really good things about Freaky, although I have not seen it myself yet. Maybe we'll put it on our list. Hell yeah. This film was also written by Scott Lobdell, who is mainly known for writing for some of movies in the X-Men franchise. Which I also love X-Men, so yeah. fuck yeah. <laughs> also, the killer in this movie is the Bayfield University mascot. <laughs> this like fictional university the killer is called the bayfield university baby killer costume that's not the mascot name is it no way i kept calling him baby face yeah baby face but the mascot is like a baby so the mask is like the mascot which is interesting it was designed by tony gardner who also designed the ghost face mask and costume Ooh. Mm-hmm. And when asked why a baby mask, Christopher Landon said that he needed a combination of something that would pass for a mascot on a college campus that was both scary and funny at the same time. Plus, he was expecting a son, so he had baby on the brain. Cute! So that's pretty much all I have setting up for this movie. All right, ready to get into it? Mm Mm-hmm. So we see Tree waking up in a dorm room in a boy's bed. She is hungover. She's regretful. (laughs) This boy seems very slavish and awkward, very ready to please her, where she's more direct and gruff. He's telling her where her clothes are. She's ready to get the fuck out of there and doesn't want to acknowledge that it happened, saying not a word of this to anyone. And she walks out as his roommate walks in asking if he got that prime vagine (laughs) or that good vagine. Obviously, very awkward, but she embarks on her walk of shame across campus. And we are introduced to these elements that will be repeated throughout the movie. She sees a guy eyeing her up in sunglasses. A girl stops her and asks to sign a petition. She sees this couple get sprayed with sprinklers in the grass. She hears a car alarm go off. 
She sees a pledging fraternity initiation going on where a boy passes out and she runs into a guy named Tim that she blew off after one date who is upset that she has not been texting him. And she doesn't seem too concerned saying who takes their first date to Subway. It's not like you have a foot long and leaves him in the dust. So Tree's got some tood. According to IMDb, Jessica Roth improvised that line. Amazing. I know. I love it. So Tree finally arrives back at her big, beautiful sorority house. She tries to make it inside without attracting much attention, but her sister Danielle sees her and immediately starts interrogating her about where she was last night, where she's coming from, saying, quote, sisters don't keep secrets. But Tree blows her off and makes it back to her room. And her roommate, Lori, starts chatting with her about the previous night as well, making comments about, you know, nothing much happened except you were dancing on a table and a couple of other embarrassing anecdotes. But then she surprises Tree with a cupcake to celebrate her birthday. Apparently, Tree didn't want anybody else to know it was her birthday. Lori somehow found out. It seems like a really sweet gesture, but Tree takes the cupcake and throws it into the trash can saying too many carbs and then bolts out the door because she's already late to class. And meanwhile, there are some eyes between her and her professor, Dr. Butler. Mm-hmm. So what the fuck is going on there? Later, we see her at a sorority meeting. We see Danielle chastising this girl, Becky, for eating breakfast and drinking chocolate milk with her breakfast. Some very tired 2010s drama about sorority girls don't eat calories Mm -hmm. shit going on. Meanwhile, Carter bumps into Tree and tries to give her her jewelry back from the night before in front of the sorority. But Tree is obviously very embarrassed by this. Later in the day, she is going to the hospital and ignores a call from her dad. She runs into her roommate, Lori, who works at the hospital, and the roommate alludes to something having serious consequences. But Tree's like, it's under your business, you don't have to worry about it. Tree enters the office of Dr. Butler, who is also a doctor as well as a professor, and Tree kisses him. So obviously there's a little bit of an affair going on. I love the wordplay of, I have patience. Well, I'm losing mine. (laughs) Wow, you're so cool, Tree. So very clever. But she is actually cool because she like back kicks this rolling chair right under the door handle so it's locked in place. And when Mrs. Butler arrives on the scene and tries to enter her husband's office, the two have enough time to get themselves together before Dr. Butler opens the door and greets his wife and Tree leaves the office. So later, Tree is watching an episode of Teen Mom and painting her nails. Danielle enters and asks if she's coming to a party later. We notice that the lights go on and off. There's some sort of power surge or power outage and Tree assures that she is going to a party later. On the way to this party, she listens to a voicemail from her dad, which reveals that she stood him up for dinner today of all days. So, Mm. okay, what does this mean? She gets catcalled as she walks across the dark campus in a white dress. She reaches this point of campus where there is a corridor and she finds a music box playing the happy birthday tune in the middle of a hallway with some construction lights lit. So she's obviously a little spooked. She thinks it's a prank, so she's like, oh my god, you guys are losers, you're so funny, you can come out now, but nothing happens. As she examines the music box a little more closely, she hears noises behind her and sees the baby face mask in a black hoodie standing at the end of the corridor. 
She, again, thinks it's a prank. She's like, can I help you? I'm not scared of you. I'll call the cops on you. And this person is unresponsive. So she gets unsettled, threatens to call the cops, and he runs off. But as she begins to walk away, the box plays again. And as she is distracted, the baby face pops up with a knife. She runs, trips, and ends up being stabbed. Then she wakes up once again in Carter's dorm room, as if the previous day never happened. She's obviously confused. She's carrying with her the memories that we have of the day before. And the scene, just like we saw, plays out the same way. But this time, of course, with Tree remembering Carter's name, she is the one that helps him find the Tylenol she asked for this time. And he even comments, it's like you've been here before, which seems to strike Tree as if to say, yeah, like maybe I have. She zeroes in on a sticker that's on the back of Carter's door that says, quote, today is the first day of the rest of your life. As she notices that sticker, she quickly exits the room. We see the same quad sequence from before with the fraternity initiation going on, the couple in the sprinkler, etc., etc. And when she sees Tim, she asks what day it is, and he confirms that it is Monday the 18th, which is the same as the previous scene. So she knows that she is, I don't want to say caught in this loop because she might not realize that yet, but she knows that today is the 18th like it was before. She makes it back to the house. We see Danielle greeting her, trying to grill her from the night before. And Tree says, it's like I'm having deja vu right now. And Danielle goes, oh, happens to me all the time. It means someone is thinking about you while they're <laughs> masturbating. <laughs> and it's like, thanks, Danielle. <laughs> Tree exits that conversation, goes back up to her room. We see Lori with the cupcake. Same thing plays out, just with minor differences, because of course, Tree sees some of that interaction coming. I don't think she throws the cupcake in the trash can this time. I think she just leaves it on the counter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a little bit less aggressive this time around because she's dazed and confused. We see the scene with the quad lunch with the sorority sisters, the same bracelet exchange. Carter comes to return it, the same blow off. This time, Tree goes to visit the hospital, but we forego the almost sex hot makeout scene for Tree trying to talk to Dr. Butler about what she's experiencing. It's the first time all day we see her try to talk to somebody about what's going on. She says, I'm having the weirdest day. But Dr. Butler cuts her off. He has this whole spiel about, well, now let's try not to fall in love with me. To which Tree is like, I'm, I'm not falling in love with you. <laughs> which then leads to Dr. Butler himself initiating a makeout session, which shows that obviously he's a character with some vain motivations. Like as soon as he feels Tree maybe pulling away or not falling in love with him, he seems to push harder to entice her, sweep her off her feet. Mrs. Butler appears just like she did before, shows a sign of suspicion when Dr. Butler opens the door to see her, Tree leaves, and she's back in her room. This time, however, instead of her simply painting her nails to get ready for the party on the horizon, we see her watching an old video on her phone of her celebrating her birthday with her mom and dad. It seems like she's having a very reminiscent moment. It's very touching. We're not sure of the whole story yet, but obviously something is there. After that, the scene commences as it did before. The lights go out like before. There's the question of when will you be at the party, Tree, asked by Danielle. Soon, Tree is off to the party. It's the same sequence as before, but when she sees the music box in the middle of the corridor outside, she is like, no thanks, and finds a different way to go to the party, which I appreciate. She reaches the house, but it's dark and locked, which is very ominous. She looks around and sees that nobody's there. 
But when she turns back around, she sees the front door of the house has opened and the baby face is standing in the doorway. She promptly punches baby face in the face. But then the lights go on and it turns out there's a surprise party happening in this house and the guy wearing the baby face mask is a friend. And so the surprise party commences. Yes. So Tree is talking to Danielle. Tree ends up making flirty conversation with Danielle's crush, Nick. So Danielle gets pissy. Nick goes upstairs. So Tree follows him into his room where there is a baby face jump scare. But it turns out it's just Nick playing the same part that he was playing earlier in the night. He's like, what are you going to punch me in the face again? And then <laughs> he says, welcome to the pleasure dome. <laughs> and... Hits a button on his phone and strobe lights and house music start playing horrendously. (laughs) I wrote cringe city population Nick. He is like dancing by himself and Tree is so not into it. Tree begins looking at her phone because Danielle is blowing up her phone being like, oh my God, you're such a slut. You're hanging out with my crush. You suck. La la la. And as she's entertaining these texts, the actual baby face killer pops up behind Nick and stabs him to death. But because there's a lot of loud house music going on, Tree doesn't hear it. As she turns around and tells now Babyface that she's leaving, Babyface throws Tree around, pins her to the bed, and ends up stabbing her with a broken bong. And then she wakes up in Carter's room again. This time, Tree is frantic. She gets up, doesn't even stop to change out of Carter's shirt, runs through the quad. We see the same check marks of the quad scenario, and eventually she makes it home. And this time she confides in Lori that she has already lived through this day twice. She's frantic. She's upset. Lori doesn't believe her. She seems to think it's a joke, which I kind of, how many times in this movie does somebody think somebody is playing a joke on them? I feel like somebody always thinks, but Lori tells her she knows that this day is hard with her mom and all. Tree should just take the day off and rest. And that's what Tree does. We don't see her go to class or the hospital like we saw We just see her in her room that night. She boards up the window and then slides a dresser in front of the door to reinforce the room and settles in to watch some TV, lying that she'll go to this party. But as she settles in to enjoy her cupcake and have her night, she realizes she doesn't have her remote control. So she gets up to look for it and finds a birthday card sitting on her desk. She opens it up and sees a baby face cut out on the inside of the card and a note that says, enjoy today because there will be no tomorrow. Like clockwork, the TV shuts off, then it goes on again and then off again. So it seems like somebody has control of that remote. Entry zeroes in on a slightly ajar closet. As she cautiously approaches with a hammer in hand, she is met with an empty closet. So then she whirls around and sees that the bathroom door is open. And as she approaches, she's attacked from behind by baby face, stabbed and killed. And then she's back in Carter's bedroom. (laughs) She's very desperate at this point saying, make it stop, make it stop. She runs out in Carter's shirt, panicking, going through all of these warning signs in the quad in a haze. Carter runs after her and stops her with the stuff that she forgot, her own clothes, her jewelry, and she ends up crumbling into him and asking for his help. We cut to a scene where we can tell that she has shared some things with him, and he's like, okay, what makes this day special? What gives this day meaning? Tree reveals that it's her birthday. Carter says that her birthday is symbolic, and whoever's trying to kill her must know it's her birthday. Who would know it's your birthday? Tree says, well, the entire school must know because there's a surprise party for me tonight. 
And he's like, well, who might have motive to kill you? And Tree names off half the population. So he's like, well, as she's listing off the amount of enemies that she has, Carter says, well, you have an unlimited amount of lives. So an unlimited amount of opportunities to figure it out. So she ends up skipping class to write a suspect list. And there is now a montage of her investigating these leads. (laughs) Yeah, I was. So she starts with Tim, the subway footlong guy from the quad. She peeks in at him through his window, finds him watching some guy-on-guy cowboy porn. Right after she makes that discovery, she's murdered. The next morning, she wakes up in Carter's room, decides to investigate Mrs. Butler, her steamy affairs wife. She investigates the wife, but then she's murdered. Wakes up in Carter's room. She decides she's going to investigate Danielle. And runs into her on the street where Danielle drops all of her things. And the card from that earlier scene pops out, or at least the envelope that the card is in pops out. Tree is pissed. She thinks she has found her girl. They get into a fight. And as they roll out into the street in this fight, they both get hit by a bus. Which I think is really interesting because Danielle in a lot of ways evokes Regina George from Mean Girls. And Regina George also gets hit by a bus. And so I was wondering if this was intentional, like a nod to the mean girl character that Danielle evokes. But anyway, this ends up being a dead end. It doesn't seem like Danielle is really Tree's girl. She wakes up in Carter's room. And this time, she decides that on her walk of shame, she's going to walk naked through the quad. She decides this time around after her epic naked girl walk that she's going to lay in wait for the killer by that corridor outside with all that construction going on. But when she thinks the killer is coming and takes out her bat to take a swing, she accidentally hits Becky, which is one of her sorority sisters. And as she's trying to tend to Becky, apologizing profusely for accidentally hitting her with a baseball bat, she gets whacked with the baseball bat from behind by the killer. And there's a really cool scene of her being hit with the baseball bat, falling, and then falling directly onto Carter's pillow, which is, again, showing that it's resetting the day. As Tree stands up from Carter's bed today, she feels a lot of pain in her stomach and passes out. She wakes up in the hospital, thinks she sees a blurry vision of the baby face killer advancing on her, but it turns into Carter. Carter confirms that it's her birthday, Monday the 18th. Dr. Butler comes in, is like, visiting hours are over, and kicks Carter out. But then ends up showing Tree her scans, which show major internal trauma. And it's like, listen, technically with all the internal trauma you have right now, you should be dead. Which is showing us that her body has maintained every single trauma that she's had from being killed this entire time keeps carrying into the next time. She tricks him by saying, well, can you just go get me a soda? I'm thirsty. And as he goes to do that, she breaks out of her room and leaves, goes running through the hospital, goes into his office looking for his car keys, thinking if I can get away from here, maybe I'll be safe, but ends up finding the baby face mask in his drawer. So she sneaks back out into the hallway. Dr. Butler goes running after her, but ends up being stabbed by an actual baby face killer. Again, this was my return to the does no one work in this hospital trope. Yeah. <laughs> Coming back from orphan. No one works here. The lights are like out. In always these out. Always out. <laughs> Nobody there. She escapes into a parking garage, ends up finding Dr. Butler's car. There's some cat and mouse between her and the baby face killer, but she ends up making it to Dr. Butler's car driving it out of the parking garage, being like, oh my god, I did it. Catch me now, bitch. I'm free. (laughs) 
but of course ends up getting pulled over by the cops. She obviously sounds a little bit unhinged because the cop pulls up. She's in a hospital gown. She's like, oh my God, he's trying to kill me. He already killed me once, but he's trying to kill me again. And he's like, well, are you drunk? And she's like, well, if I'm drunk, am I arrested? Because in her mind, if she goes to a jail cell, she'll be safe for the night. So she goes, I'm drunk, I'm wasted and high, weed, pills, I'm on all of it, man. So he books her, puts her in the back of a police car, but as he shuts the door, he is promptly run over by a fucking car. A Dodge Charger. It is a Dodge Charger. Um, I just want to say, I'm proud of myself for knowing what car that was. I wouldn't know. I don't know why you know. I just know. You a do know. Cars, a couple <laughs> things. <laughs> but the owner of the Dodge Charger is Babyface. <laughs> Babyface gets out, approaches the window, taunts her a little bit as she's like, what do you want? What do you want, do? What do you want from me? <laughs> but we find out that he was just messing with the gas canister of the police car and ends up blowing the car up with the drop of a birthday candle. Very mean-spirited. So mean-spirited. So she wakes up back at Carter's. And she proves to Carter this time that she has lived this day before several times because standing in the quad, she's able to cue all the things that are going to happen from the sprinklers to the guy passing out, etc., etc. So they go out for some food at a diner. While they're sitting at the table, her dad calls, but she doesn't answer. This leads to a conversation with Carter about her mom. And we learn through this conversation that Tree and her mom had the same birthday, September 18th, but her mom passed away. And Tree is feeling pretty negative about her life and the way that she's living it. She feels like if her mom saw her now, she doesn't know if she'd like who Tree has become. Carter encourages her to try to be a better person with each attempt she gets at this life. But Tree knows that according to her internal injuries, it seems like she's running out of chances. But just then she sees a news report that a serial killer, like a renowned serial killer who had been in the hospital for whatever medical attention, John Toombs, has escaped custody and is on the loose. And for some reason, and I'm not entirely sure why, Tree is convinced that this is her guy. She gets a flashback of going into the hospital to visit Dr. Butler and seeing a police officer positioned outside of a room. He has always been present in every timeline mm. that she's been in the hospital. And because John Toombs's MO is young college-age girls, she's convinced that he is responsible for her murder in some capacity. Tree rushes to the hospital, she grabs a fire axe, tells a nurse to call the police, enters John Toombs' room armed. There's nobody in bed, but there is a dead security guard. Babyface has a gun, shoots at her, Tree runs away. Babyface ends up taking off the mask and is confirmed to be John Toombs. And as he's about to advance on Tree, he is tackled by Carter, but John Toombs is able to kill Carter, and even though Tree tries to defend herself with a gun, it is out of ammo. Tree is chased by John Toombs throughout the lifeless hospital, I wrote, because nobody fucking exists there. <laughs> she knocks John Toombs out and is about to kill him, but realizes that if she doesn't reset the day, that Carter stays dead. Mm. So she instead runs up the bell tower that conveniently exists in every hospital, because of <laughs> course it does, and commits suicide by hanging herself mm -hmm. to reset her day. And she wakes up. And this time she's feeling great, because she knows who her guy is, and she can hatch a plan to get him before he gets her. 
She grabs Carter's pillow from his bed, mentions that she's going to need it. She leaves. Again, she has stopped bothering to put on her fancy clothes from the night before, and she just continues to wear Carter's shirt that he let her borrow. She walks out into the quad. She warns the couple sitting on the grass about the sprinklers. I think she warns them, and then the sprinklers go off anyway, so it doesn't really help, but she Mm -hmm. tries. And she signs the girl's petition that asked her to sign the petition. And right when the fraternity brother is about to hit the ground from fainting, she's able to lay the pillow on the ground so he has a soft landing. So we can see she's evoking Cinderella, right? But instead of talking to the birds, she's talking the language of a college (laughs) campus. She's ready for this and she feels amazing. She makes her way back to her sorority house. When Danielle meets her out the door, she talks about Carter without shame. She admits to being with him the night before. And one day she's going to have his babies in this very dramatic monologue. And then she makes it upstairs, says hello to her roommate, Lori, and apologizes for being a bear of a roommate. Lori seems surprised by this, but seems accepting of her apology. And then Tree heads to class opens the door of the lecture hall and asks Dr. Butler to meet her in the hallway where she promptly ends their affair. Seems like she's going through life and tying up a lot of loose ends. Later at the sorority meeting, she throws chocolate milk on Danielle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When she calls Becky a chunker, quote unquote, she kisses Carter in front of all of her sorority sisters when he approaches to give her back her bracelet. She answers the call from her dad and ends up meeting him for lunch. And during this lunch, she's very vulnerable and talks about how much she misses her mom and apologizes for hurting him all of these years. They both cry and reminisce over her memory. It seems like a very healing energy. Later on, she gears up and prepares herself to kill John Toombs. She goes to the hospital, holds up a cop, steals his gun, and tells him to go get help before he escapes. Now, look, I don't want to get in the way of Tree's methods, (laughs) but I don't know if it had to be like this. No. Because in this life, she could still get arrested for literally holding up a cop (laughs) with his own weapon. Like, does she think because it's her life and her own destiny that, like, she has to be the one to kill him personally? I don't know. I guess. I guess. But I feel like, I don't know. Whatever. As she goes to kill John Toombs with a gun, she realizes the safety of the gun is on. So John Toombs attacks her, steals her knife, throws her around a little bit. But she has cleverly timed the blackout happening, the blackout that happens every time, every night at a certain hour. This blackout allows John Toombs to lose her location and she ends up shooting him dead. So later, Tree and Carter are lighting her cupcake candle and talking about John Toombs. She blows out the candle and wishes for tomorrow. But when she wakes up, the day has reset itself. She is distraught. Supposedly, she had found her killer, killed him. She had lived her day, helping other people to the best of her ability, changing her ways. And now she is reliving this day again, and it doesn't make any sense. So she makes it back to her room with Lori and through her conversation with Lori and this scene we've seen for the thousandth time with this cupcake, Tree realizes that she must have died and that she must have died in her sleep. And she realizes that, I guess last night or last scene, the most recent September 18th is the only timeline where she actually ate the cupcake Lori made for her. And so she realizes that the cupcake must have been poisoned. 
We also see that Lori worked at the hospital. We get that reminder through a flashback. She knew, according to Tree, that Toombs staying at the hospital and breaking loose would have been the perfect scapegoat because if Lori helped him escape, everybody would assume that he was the one responsible for killing Tree. And it turns out Tree is right in her suspicions. Lori admits to it. She was trying to kill Tree this whole time because she was jealous over Dr. Butler. Boo. Boo. Hiss. Hiss. Turns out that Lori wanted to be the side bitch (laughs) and that she was unhappy that Tree was in that position. There's a good moment where Tree asks Lori to prove her innocence by eating the cupcake. And of course she won't, which kind of leads to the confession. So in this fight, there are some hands being thrown and then (laughs) Tree shoves the cupcake into Lori's mouth. And of course she starts freaking out because it's poisonous. Tree kicks her through the window and Lori falls to her death. In the most unrealistic chandelier scene. You were upset by this. I was. I was like, that chandelier. Yeah, so she grabs the little chandelier hanging from the ceiling and uses it as a swing to propel her kick of Lori through the window. And I was just like, I don't know. (laughs) And I'm not saying I know. I'm just saying I'm skeptical as to whether or not that chandelier would hold Tree's weight as she swung and kicked Lori. That's all. So after this, Danielle comes to the door and is like, what's all this noise? And (laughs) Tree's like, oh, this happened, this happened. And Danielle's like, whatever, clumsy (laughs) hoes. And that's just simply what we will continue to say to each other. (laughs) Yeah, we do. I love that. I love, we should really start taking notes. What was the last one? What was Green Inferno? Um, 100% wrong, 100% horror. Yes. <laughs> Whatever clumsy hose. Yeah. Later, we see Tree with Carter in a diner watching a news report as Danielle is interviewed about Lori's lame plot saying, we're Kappas. We don't even eat cupcakes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So Carter invites her to stay the night with him and calls out like, hey, have you ever seen the movie Groundhog Day? Which is like funny, obviously. <laughs> the next day she wakes up and it very much seems like a reset. She's in the same shirt. Her phone is playing the same ringtone. Carter says the same line. But turns out Carter's a dick and faked the reset and proves that the day is Tuesday the 19th. They laugh and kiss. And it's proven because the roommate comes in and is like, I want to sleep in my car again. It smells like fucking socks. And hot pockets. And hot pockets. <laughs> like, I don't want to stay here anymore. The camera pans over to the sticker on his door that says, today is the first day of the rest of your life. And then that's the movie. Cute. (laughs) What did you think about this movie? It was deliciously dumb. (laughs) We were talking about this prior to recording about what is this movie saying? (laughs) Yeah, we were really trying to find something. We were really trying to find something. And of course, I feel like the motive of Lori having a crush on Dr. Butler when there was literally no evidence of it shown throughout the entire movie was shoehorned in there. And it's still creating this presumption of that, like women competing over male attention. Tree even says that, like, you're killing me over this stupid guy? 
But even Laurie says, well, not just that, you're also a dumb bitch. And it's just like, okay, like, if you're going to, like, commit to being a dumb 2010s movie, that's a good way to go, right? Like, right. there doesn't need to be a motive. Because it's also like, what does Tree have to do to necessarily prove that she deserves to be worth living? And it seems to be not running from her problems, like being truthful with Carter, talking to her dad, being a kinder, more considerate human being. Like, all of these things are achieved by her being able to see her mistakes. I think she even says that to Carter at one point. Living the same day over and over again is really showing me who I was and that I'm not proud of her. A weird investigation into discovering yourself in college, I guess. But I mean, like, it's a dumb movie. I don't know. I agree with you. Lori as the killer and the lack of character development on her part paired with maybe leaning on this trope of, well, you're a dumb bitch or I'm jealous of you being with the man that I have feelings for. Like it feels a little bit of a shortcoming. I like the attempt at a twist. And Lori makes sense as far as somebody who has always been aware of her birthday, which is a kind of a clue that Carter gave us early on through their conversation in one of her lifetimes. And then her working at the hospital, like it makes sense that she would be somebody who would have the power and the presence to know enough about her to kill her in all these scenarios. Like I like that. But the overall motivation for it felt like it fell flat. I do like the way this using of a Groundhog Day metaphor demonstrates what it might feel like to live life with unprocessed trauma or avoiding scenarios that you don't want to encounter. Like I can see how that would create a daily sense of avoiding the same problem or this redundancy that feels inescapable because there isn't owning something or facing something. Or there's a sense where you're kind of like devolving as a person and you don't like who you're becoming and maybe every day brings with it this sense of dark repetition. I like that. But I don't know. I feel like this movie could have done one of two things. It could have like played into that really profound, almost elevated horror element, or it could have been really, really dumb. And it was trying to be really, really dumb and it was really, really dumb. But I think it could have been funnier or dumber. For example, like Lori's unmasking at the end. Like, I think part of the reason it fell short was because it was almost too dumb for what the movie felt like it ended up being about. Like, there were a couple of disconnects between the messaging of the movie and the humor of the movie. And I felt like maybe there could have been more cohesion there. But I mean, as far as what I wanted, I I wanted something light and breezy. And this gave it to me and I enjoyed it overall. So I, I really can't be mad. It honestly kind of reminds me of Urban Legend, where Brenda's whole motivation is she wanted the guy. Mm. But at least the entire time, we knew that she had this insufferable crush on Paul. And it always seemed like a nothing trait about her. And then it turned into, like, the great motivation. I remember even saying to Elise, like, I was waiting for Lori to be related to John Toombs. (laughs) And John Toombs was somehow responsible for Tree's mom's death. And maybe John Toombs wasn't the one who killed Tree's mom and was like wrongly accused. And Lori was taking on some sort of like vengeance for her dad or Mm -hmm. something like I was waiting for something like that. But at the end of the day, Tree's mom being dead was inconsequential. 
and Lori's motivation was inconsequential. But I also can kind of appreciate that Lori killing her didn't necessarily matter. It was all about the fact that Tree was unaware of how she was coming off in the world and something would have stopped her life if she kept living her life the way that it was. And it didn't necessarily matter where it was coming from. It's just more so the path that she was on was not sustainable. So she had to change it. And this event was somehow the way for her to realize the error in how she was responding to trauma. Like, I don't know if I don't know it was a dumb silly movie I'm not sorry we saw it there were some laughs in there yep definitely you clumsy hoes <laughs> you clumsy hoes <laughs> this really was I mean for me in my mind's eye the last break <laughs> We're really going to have for a while because we have some things cooking for the future that are going to make me at least very uncomfortable. (laughs) So this is our little like post cannibal power hour pre getting into September and spooky season thing. Definitely follow us on Instagram at the horrors podcast and or email us at the horrors podcast at gmail.com if you want to keep up with what we're doing, ask any questions, give any recommendations, etc. because we are here. And until next time, we're the horrors. Bye. Bye.